Swan. I like this shorter cord. I don't know where Steve's at, but I like to I don't have to wrap around myself like four times. To... All right. We are uh, thankfully overcoming our technical difficulties. Everything's working now. Hope everybody's got handouts. If you don't have a handout, raise your hand. I've got some, uh, some brothers that were helping me do it and hand them, send them around. I've got a couple down front here. We'll get started on class. Go ahead and get your Bibles. Let's open on James chapter 1. We're going to pick up there this morning. Uh, I was handed, I've got announcements this morning, so I'll be reiterating this announcement during the worship assembly, but I uh, was handed an announcement this morning that I'd like to go ahead and announce as well as uh, include that in our, our, our prayer this morning. Um, Brother and Sister Urquhart went to, uh, there it is, I beat the bell. Brother and Sister Urquhart went to MD Anderson in, in Texas for her annual scan this last week, and they have found two masses. Uh, so her cancer is back, and they are going to be returning to Houston on June the 22nd and 23rd for a biopsy on those places. So we want to keep them in our prayers and uh, obviously uh, bid them Godspeed as they travel, as well as hopefully we can get some results and uh, figure out things uh, from this. Uh, any other announcements? Yes, sister. Okay. What's what's the baby's name? Kennedy Grace. Okay. Baby on uh, was born. You said a week and a half ago, and uh, was on the lung machine. But everything is doing better. So remember Kennedy Grace in your prayers. Great grandbaby or great great. Great grandbaby. Okay. Any other prayer requests this morning? All right, let's start off uh, class this morning with a word of prayer. Please bow with me. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the things that you've given us in this world. Lord, we're thankful for another day that we can wake up and we can enjoy your wonderful creation. And God, we are tremendously thankful that we could gather together as a family here at Dalreda, that we can open up your word, study from it. And Lord, we hope that we can garner some principles and some lessons that will challenge us in our lives and will help us to... to Learn to be more mature Christians as we live each and every day of our life here on this earth. God, we know that there are many trials that we do face. And as we study that this morning and as we think upon handling trials and trying to turn them into triumphs, Lord, obviously there are things that are going on in our lives. We ask you to please, especially be with our Urquhart family, please bless them as they, they travel. And God, please bless the doctors and the, and the nurses that are working with them and God, more than anything, we just ask that you be with them as they uh, go through this ordeal, as they go through this trial, and help it to purify them and sanctify them in, in ways that only you can understand, and help them become stronger and better Christians. God, we ask that you be with little Kennedy Grace as she continues to struggle with the early lung problems, and, and we ask that you continue to bless her as she gets stronger and healthier each and every day, and bless the family as they uh, adjust and deal with having a newborn. And Lord, we ask that you be with all the others that are experiencing losses. Think of the Vaughn family and others that have experienced losses recently. And Lord, we ask you to please just bless them and encourage them. Help us to reach out to them as their brethren. 
as their brothers and sisters in Christ, that we will be able to encourage them as we can. But Lord, we know that you only and you alone can provide that peace that passes all understanding of ours. And we ask that you please be with them as they seek after you. May they grow up and, and, and find you in these times in their lives. Lord, more than anything, we are thankful for Christ. And we're thankful for him coming on this earth to die for us and our sins. And it's through his blessed name we offer this prayer this morning. Amen. We do have VBS this week, so I want to encourage you all to make sure you remember that. I'm going to emphasize that again, of course, this morning during the announcements as well. But it begins each night at 6.30. We do have adult classes, so we want to encourage all of our members to be there. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 12, gets into what I, I would say is one of the passages I turn to in the New Testament during those days and, and those hours when I might be questioning myself. Uh, most of the time, as you think about it, it's one of those times when, when you're down, when you're facing those trials and those, those things that are not seeming to be going your way in your lives. And uh, you, you really see th- this part of the book of James kind of hitting humanity right on the head in many respects. Uh, the author of uh, one book says, Throughout the Bible are people who turn defeat into victory. In trial into triumph. Instead of being victims, they become victors. And I like the way that they put that. Uh, as a prosecutor, I get to deal with victims on a regular basis, uh, whether they be victims of violent crimes or thefts or whatever it may be. And so you really see people who have kind of gone through the ringer, so to speak, and have had to experience things that most people don't want to experience. And, and you see them being truly victims, and they feel like they're victims. They feel like the world is against them a lot of times. They feel as though nothing is going right for them. They feel as though uh, they can't do anything to make a difference in their own lives even anymore because they have fallen prey to this victim mentality. Uh, As Christians, I want to encourage us to think a little bit differently than that. I think as the author put it here, instead of being victims, we need to choose to be victors as we experience things. It's not always easy. It's not always the, the, the... easiest path to, to become a victor versus a victim. But that's in our mentality what we need to be doing. Uh, I, I don't want to do, I'm not going to show, I'm not going to show a hands this week. Uh, I will next week though of how many read our passages for this week. Uh, I'm going to start holding you a little bit of accountable. And I, and I hope next week when you come to class, you'll be able to raise your hand and say that you did read this passage of scripture this week. But I encourage you each week to read the next passage of scripture because as you read these passages, as you read these just 10 verses that we're dealing with this week here in James chapter 1, you can't help but be encouraged somewhat in realizing that we as Christians can live a life and as we go through trials in our lives, that we can instead of being discouraged, we can be encouraged. You know, have you ever gone through something and wondered what good can come from this? I have. And I'm sure even from our prayer request this morning that uh, I would not fault you one bit if you had a similar experience. Cancer is one of those things. And I know, Sister Ann, we've talked about this before, the first go-around. And, and I even remember, I think, bringing it up in a lesson before. Uh, when I think you were going through the first treatments, is the idea of dealing that blow of having cancer in your life. And we know it's becoming so much more commonplace than uh, we would like to, to see it nowadays, where people are diagnosed with cancer or other type of diseases, illnesses. They go through medical struggles, medical problems, uh, and they don't really have an answer. And so you find yourself sitting there oftentimes thinking, 
what good can come from this? And I think oftentimes we do experience those struggles, those ordeals, and we often think, you know, to ourselves, what what is there, you know, that's going to come out of this that's going to be worth anything? Or is it just me struggling for the sake of struggling? Often we hear that phrase and, and that little saying, you know, when life hands you lemons, make lemonade. And But sadly, those of us who go through those struggles in life, we know that it's not quite that easy as just squeezing some fruit, putting some water, and putting some sugar in there, and making some lemonade out of something. You know, it seems so trivial whenever you hear that. And if you're really going through the depths of despair or the trials of your life, and you hear someone throw that out at you, you just really want to say, you don't know what you're talking about. Because oftentimes we get distracted, and we get discouraged, and we get to the point where we cannot see the forest for the trees. And sadly, in our Christian lives, we find ourselves in that predicament far, far too often. Uh, And so, you know, it takes often much, much more than we want to think. Sometimes it takes more than we want to do even as well. But what James tells us here in James chapter 1 verses 2 through 12 is that we can have this kind of an outcome. We can have victory instead of becoming truly just a victim of our circumstances. We can experience victory like none other. And our Christian lives can be encouraged. Our Christian lives can grow. And in fact, going along with the theme that we spoke about last week in the book of James, our Christian lives can mature as we go through these fiery ordeals in our lives. The trials and tribulations of life don't have to get us down, but instead they can actually lift us up. And that's something that it seems to be an oxymoron to us. It seems to be very much a... a, a, a paradox, really, to say that the trials can actually lift you up instead of just tear you down. But in a Christian perspective, what James tells us here is that we can be victors instead of victims. No matter the trials that, that occur on the outside that we see referenced in James chapter 1 verses 2 through 12, or, or the tribulations, uh, or the temptations that come on the inside as we're going to be talking about next week in James chapter 1 verses 13 through 27, we can experience a victory in our lives. And this victory will bring spiritual maturity and will allow us to grow in our spiritual and our Christian lives. Let's look real quickly. James chapter 1. Let's read those 10 verses together this morning. Starting in verse 2. Consider it all joy, brethren, uh, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. But the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position, and the rich man is to glory in his humiliation, because like flower and grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass and its flower falls off and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed, so too the rich man in his midst of his pursuits will fade away. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive a crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. 
James here in these verses really kind of outlines and kind of gives us some points to really consider as we think about turning trials into triumphs in our lives. Uh, It's not easy. The road is not going to be a a nicely paved road that we can walk on very quickly or without any kind of faltering. In fact, it's going to be a rocky road. It's going to be a road that has the the bumps and the hurdles. It's going to have the boulders in the way where you may have to actually climb over something and, and really put dig it in to be able to, to get over our hurdle in your life. That's the kind of road of life we're going to be on as Christians. And James tells us here that perseverance and patience and those things which come about by having this type of a mentality can make us be victorious instead of succumb to the road that is, the road that is uh, less traveled. Uh, the discussion in this class, I want to kind of move here to the, the four points that I want to focus on this morning as you kind of lay out and think about what this class is going to be about uh, this morning. Because if you're going to turn trials into triumph, we must obey five imperatives that you see in the scripture here. Uh, one, uh, you got to count in chapter 1, verse 2. We'll talk about that in just a moment. you got to know, chapter 1, verse 3. You've got to let, chapter 1, verses 4 and verses 9 through 11. And finally, number fourth, you've got to ask, uh, chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. All those four imperatives are outlined there by James in the passage of Scripture to encourage us as Christians. And these four imperatives, as you read the text and as you, you focus on these, uh, this kind of an outline here of these ten verses, will help let you see that a joyful attitude, an understanding mind, a surrendered will, and a heart that wants to believe brings about true victory in Christianity. And it brings about what we are striving for as Christians, which would be true maturity in our Christian lives. So these four imperatives are going to bring about a mindset and an attitude that will allow us to, to prevail instead of stumble and fall and not enjoy a true and a a real rewarding life. One quote here is, as we go into this first uh, concept here, and as we think about the, the idea of counting, um, the idea of a, a joyful attitude, one author put it this way, because we are God's scattered people and not God's sheltered people, we must experience trials. And as you look here at the first uh, imperative that you read in the book of James, that's what you're going to see is the imperative there in verse 2 of to count it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials in your life. Count. When we count, it brings about a a joyful attitude. That's going to be the logical result of of counting and making it all joy. And and as you look here at this description in the book of James, what you will will slowly find out, and I think you see this in reality and in real life as well, but your view on on your outlook on your life is going to determine the outcome of something. And ultimately, your attitude is going to determine what action that you take. In Christian living, uh, that, I think that's, that's very true. The, the paramount idea there is that we have a different outlook on life, so therefore outcomes of things are viewed in, in a whole different lens versus the world. Uh, the same idea is there with the attitude and how we would respond or how we would act. If we have a certain attitude in our Christian lives, we're going to respond. We're going to take different action that may be expected among the world. 
Our lives will be, in, in, in fact, different than those that may be around us. And, and as you look in our Christian lives, the idea of counting it all joy uh, whenever we encounter various trials and tribulations, uh, we cannot help but understand that we've got to have a different outlook and a different attitude as we encounter these things. First of all, think about this. There is no doubt that Christians will encounter trials in your lives. In fact, if you look at the scriptures, there's various scriptures that we could turn to this morning. I want to look at John 16, verse 33. As you're flipping over to John 16, uh, you will remember back that Jesus, as he's uh, imploring the apostles or the disciples, and, and as he's sending them out, and as he's talking to them about the different things, he tells them they're going to en- encounter trials and tribulations. They're going to encounter certain things that uh, will go against them. And we know that uh, as they deal with these things, uh, as they go out, and that was really in, in John 15, that, that Christ, I believe, is, is encouraging them and saying, hey, pretty much, listen, they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. And he reiterates over in John chapter 16 and verse 33, and he says, these things I've spoken to you so that in me you might have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. And so the concept and the idea, the mentality that Christ is trying to instill in his disciples is that they will encounter uh, persecution. They will encounter these trials and tribulations when they go out in amongst the world uh, because that's what it, the world is all about, causing chaos, causing problems. There is no peace in the world. The peace is only in Christ. And so here when you deal with the, the idea that, that trials will occur, we can expect them to occur. Why? Because if we are truly a follower of Christ, if we are a believer in what he has taught and what he tells us we need to be teaching then we are going to have no choice but to experience trials in our lives. Why? Because we have a different perspective on things, and people don't always like that perspective. God tells us to expect trials. In fact, if you look at the scripture here in James chapter 1, it's not if you encounter trials, but in fact that the words there is when you encounter trials. It is expected that the Christians are going to encounter trials in their lives. In fact, I I like to tell, and I I tell teenagers this a lot of times, that if you're living your life and it's easy, then more than likely you're not living it right as a Christian. Uh, Because living a Christian life is not supposed to be easy. You are going to be ridiculed, you will be criticized, uh, you will be discouraged in your life if you are living a Christian life like you're supposed to. And I'm not saying you should be that way among the church, but you're going to be that way just because you're out amongst the world and the world does not view Christians does not view God, does not view Christ in the same way that Christians should. Uh, one of the passages I like to flip to over in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. This is, of course, a passage of, of Paul talking to Timothy here, encouraging him, and letting him kind of know things. And, and you'll remember in 2 Timothy chapter 3, of course, is later on where it talks about all scriptures inspired, verses 16, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Well, look a couple of verses up there. Verse 12 I have this underlined in my, in my Bible because this is something that's an admonition. It's a warning to us as Christians. It says, indeed, all who desire to live godly in Jesus Christ will be persecuted. And brethren, that hasn't changed today. It will not change in the future. It did not change back when Timothy was there teaching and preaching among the brethren uh, when Paul wrote to him. If you choose, if you have will, if you have the desire to live a godly life... You will be persecuted. Now, how you're persecuted may change depending on what culture you're in. 
You go talk to my, my brethren over in India and the idea of them being persecuted is a lot differently than being persecuted in Montgomery, Alabama. You go deal with the brethren that we have over in the Middle East who literally put their lives on the line because they believe in Jesus Christ. And the way they are persecuted may vary on how we're persecuted here in Montgomery, Alabama. But we all will be persecuted if we are choosing to live a godly life. So it's an admonition to you there. Obviously, there is a, a, a qualitative part of that. Uh, we've got to choose. We've got to make that decision to live a godly life before there's an idea of persecution for that godly living. But when we do make that decision... And I would argue to you, whenever you put on Christ in baptism, you're making that decision and that choice right there to live a godly life according to God. You will be persecuted. Uh, we can't always expect things to go our way. And you look at the scriptures and you see that, that some trials may come because we're human uh, and we just have to experience certain things. Unfortunately, uh, we have the idea of human suffering. We can get in a whole discussion about why does God allow uh, people to suffer? Why does he allow Christians to suffer? Why does he allow us to suffer just like those who are not Christians? Is there a difference? And there's a lot of good articles that are written out there, especially by my my friends at Apologetics Press, dealing with the idea of human suffering. But the, the, the facts are plain and simple. Because we're human, there are some things that we're going to experience suffering in trials about. They're, they're going to attack us fleshly. Uh, there are going to be things that attack us and, and, and then discourage us because we're merely human. Others, however, may arise because we are Christian. Not just human, but Christian. Those things which we believe, those things which we espouse, which we are teaching, or we should be teaching, in the world around us. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which uh, comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. The idea and concept that Peter is talking there to the brethren, is that, hey, you are going through a fiery ordeal. The, the, the description and the context of this indicates that there's a, a fiery ordeal going on because they are Christians. They are living differently. They are teaching differently. They have a life that is not in mesh or in congruence with the world. And so, therefore, they're going to experience fiery ordeals and issues and, and problems there. Satan fights fights us, uh, the world opposes us, and this makes obviously for a life of battle amongst us. Uh, the Lord sees the finished pattern in the de- design, though, ultimately. It reminds me of a, a weaver who's weaving a rug together, and I, I'm not much on weaving, but uh, this is what I've been told and what I've read, is that when you weave like a rug or when you weave something that's nice and, and uh, you want to get to it, a lot of times the, the top's going to look a little differently than the bottom of that product. Uh, some people have some wonderful handiwork, I think, on the backsides where they can make it look beautiful. But more than likely, a lot of times you see the knotting and you see the excess, the fraying maybe of the, the, the little the threads that are left from the weaving. And, and you don't necessarily see this beautified kind of product on the backside. On the front, though, it's beautiful. Reminds me, and believe it or not, I cross-stitched when I was a kid. I think that's kind of funny now when you think about it. Uh, I'm not sure people, do people even cross-stitch anymore? I don't know. But my mom used to cross-stitch a lot. And so it's one of those things that when I was sitting around, she would kind of just let me play around with it. And I learned how to cross-stitch. Isn't that amazing? But if you looked at the back of my cross-stitch, it was not the pretty thing at all. And the front looked good, George. The front looked pretty good. Um, you know, I did a couple of little samplers. I think that's what they call them, isn't it? Uh, a couple little samplers where the fronts look pretty good. The backs, though, not so much. 
And you see, that's kind of the idea and the concept that we have in, in our minds. We want the front to look pretty. We want it to look good, and that's what we expect it to be. But we don't always understand that to get that front looking that way, that sometimes the backside's not going to be so pretty. And that's kind of the way it is in our lives. God sees the big picture. He sees that finished sampler, cross-stitch. He sees it, but sometimes all we can see is the backside, the mistakes that we make. Those of us who are a little OCD and we want it to be just perfect, you know, we nitpick something to death because we see this one little flaw and we kind of look into it and we think, oh, this is horrible, when in fact it looks pretty good. I just finished a uh, built-in in our house, which took how many months, honey? <laughs> Way too long. Um, we got a lot of stuff going on. It's kind of hard to focus on one thing, but we wanted a built-in with some like kind of lockers to for the kids to throw their junk in by, by the, the, the garage door. And, and I did it myself. I did some pricing, and it was just way too much. I didn't want to spend that money. And I thought, you know, I bet I can do this myself. I started doing the research and the studying, and I got out there and bought the wood, bought me some new tools, guys. You got to like that, you know, um, buy some tools. And I put this thing up. My problem is I see every little speck or crack or hole I know where the flaws and the blemishes are in that thing. My wife, on the other hand, thankfully, thank the Lord, looks at it and says, That's, you did a great job. It looks great. Because she's not looking at every little imperfection in it. She sees the bigger picture. And that's what happens in our lives sometimes. That when we're dealing with trials and tribulations, we get caught up on those little flaws and those little problems, those, those things we think that just are not perfect. And we forget and, and don't realize that in the end, the, the big product's what matters. The end result is what God's looking at to make sure that we, he, he weaves this wonderful pattern. He, he puts together this framework so that in the end, the, the big picture is beautiful. And it's constructed in a way that only he can do it. He, you know, we've got to realize his work is not finished yet when it comes to our own lives and helping us grow and mature, helping the church here at Delray to grow and mature. His work is not completed yet until the Lord comes back again because he wants us to keep growing. It is not a, a ever an ending in the way that we grow as Christians. Our perspectives have got to be changed. We've got to challenge ourselves to think differently than we normally would. The phrase in this uh, incident here, uh, fall into, which is what the King James Version uses, uh, those who fall into, tell you what, that sun gets me, uh, fall into various temptations. If you look there in the passage of Scripture, it's not some haphazard or goofy or, or stupid you know, type of accident. It's not a oops, you know, I'm falling into temptation here or I'm falling into trials. Uh, the, the New American Standard actually translates that, I believe, better when it says that, that you encounter, you come across it. You are going to be dealt uh, with confronting this problem. Uh, it's not a falling into. It's not a, a, an accident. Uh, the trials are not necessarily accidents, and it should be, as I said, more accurately translated as encounter. Christians, obviously, though, should never manufacture or bring about trials on themselves. We've got to make good decisions and good choices and we've got to realize that we've got to be cautious of the things that we do. But it's not necessarily something that we just haphazardly fall into. I want to throw that in there as we think about counting it all joy. Uh, there are various or diverse type of trials that we see into the, the scripture here. First Peter chapter 1 verse 6 is a parallel passage talking about various tri tribulations is the way most translations say in First Peter 1 6. Uh, they are not all alike. 
And in fact, as you're going through and dealing with the different trials in your lives, they're going to be very distinctively different most times. Uh, They're going to attack you on different issues. They're going to uh, discourage you on different ways. Uh, They're going to be, they're going to vary. They're going to have a very broad experience uh, that you will have to deal with throughout your life. If allowed, though, God is going to be able to use all these different broad experiences and challenges in your life to help form and mold you into something uh, so much more beautiful for his glory. Look a little further real quickly with me as you consider uh, the counting it all joy, this joyful attitude that you've got to have when you deal with the trials in life. The word count, of course, is a financial term. And if you look at this, it's, it's used in Philippians chapter 3 by Paul, uh, the idea of taking an account of. And you're kind of weighing, in my mind, of course, I have an accounting degree. I get into the kind of the cost-benefit analysis kind of a, approach of looking at things, of things which are worthy or how much, you know, does this matter and in your minds, the spiritual weighing of these things encourages you to think about those things which are more important. You're evaluating the priority, the importance, and the impact that those might have on a spiritual level instead of just thinking only on your physical level. If you look at Philippians chapter 3, Paul there, of course, gets into the idea that, hey, the things that I used to count... I used to evaluate, I used to value so much more greater. Now it's just rubbish. Some versions say it's just garbage to me. Because as a Christian, your perspective changes. It changes how you view the world. It should change how you view yourself. And and ultimately, it should view on how you, you, you view all the circumstances that surround you on a daily basis as a Christian. A mature Christian is going to be facing those trials of life and they're going to evaluate them in terms of what God is doing for us instead of what we think they're doing for us or doing to us. And so we're going to be encouraged and we're going to be admonished to to think about our valuations much differently than before. You know, our values, since our values determine our evaluations, think about how, what, what do you value? That's going to be the first question you're going to have to ask yourself. What do I value? Do I value the here and now or do I value the later? Do I value material or do I value spiritual? And then ultimately, how do those values affect the decisions you make? How do those values affect your evaluations of the trials that you go through? When trials come, I would encourage you, immediately give thanks to the Lord and adopt this a joyful attitude instead of a negative attitude. It's not a woe is me approach. Or it should not be for Christians. But in fact, uh, the, the Christian's result and the impact and the effect that it should have on us as Christians when we are confronted with a, a trial in our life should be to thank God because it's going to make us a stronger Christian. Now, how many of us truly do that in our lives? I would venture to guess not many of us. I think it's a, a way that most of us can probably grow. Most of us can probably mature just a little bit more on how we view the trials that face us in our lives. A lot of times it comes to how we are evaluating those things in our lives. If we value the uh, the comfort more than character, trials are going to upset us. If we value the material and the physical more than the spiritual, we're not going to be able to count it all joy in our lives. If we only live for the present and we forget the future, then trials will make us bitter and not better. 
Job had that right outlook as you look in Job chapter 23 and verse 10 as he viewed things. The idea there is that God's going to help him in the end grow as an individual. Look, Job 23. It's a good verse for you to, to, to maybe underscore in your Bible. And you think of, of Job and all that he went through and all that he encountered, all that he lost, those trials which were in his. We usually honestly look to him as the example of going through trials in our lives. It's a book that many go and, and look to and read. But look in Job 23 and verse 10 and what he said uh, about God. And he says, but he knows the way I take. God knows us. He knows what choices we make. He knows which decisions we make. He knows those things that are in our mind. God knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Now think about that idea. Gold is precious. Gold is accounted as being so much special. It is to be something looked to for value and importance. People kill over gold. Here Job says that when, when, when he, when God has tried me, I will come forth as gold. It kind of reiterates the ideas that we see in, in Peter and, and, and other books of the New Testament of going through the trials of life and being tried and being perfected by the, the, the heat, so to speak, of the trials in our lives. You know, I'm not a, a gold miner, obviously. But uh, from what I read, of course, gold doesn't come forth as just this pure type of a metal whenever you mine it out of the mine. Uh, you, know, you, you, you bring it out in ores, and it's usually intermixed and mingled with rock and, and other minerals and other type of, of substances. And so what do they do in order to purify the gold? They put it on heat, and they literally burn and melt it so that that gold becomes pure, and they're able to then form it and use it to make beautiful creations and uh, be able to form it into what uh, is more pleasing, what is more valued. How much more different are we sometimes? If we would just have that end result and realize God is perfecting us into something so much better than we are now, wouldn't we go through the trials and tribulations of life a little differently if that's ultimately God's goal? If we let, that's what God says he, he's doing to us. So if we let God do those things, which we need to get in the second point to, to, to deal with that. But if we do those things, we allow God to purify us, to make us stronger, make us better, make us more valuable, so to speak. Make us stronger. Make us more mature. If we have that in our viewpoint, then maybe going through the trials may not be as tough for us. Of course, a lot of us look at us and say, you know, how? You know, outlook determines outcome. He, he ends with joy. To end with joy, you've got to begin with joy. That's kind of a concept there. I like the wording and the phrasing. But how? How do we do this, really, is the, the, the crux. How do we confront things with a joyful attitude when we, in fact, are having to go through physical pain and agony, when we go through sadness and loss, when we go through all these trials in our lives, and, and John's up here speaking that you need to go through with a joyful attitude. How do I do it, John? How do I do it? Well, the second imperative, I think, answers that question for us. When you think about the second imperative, first of all, count it all joy. The second imperative that you see here is that it's a knowing imperative. You look in, in James chapter 2, verse, I mean, James chapter 1, verse 3, when James is talking about this, he says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. There is a knowing aspect here that as we, we think about it as Christians, that there's an imperative for us to know 
It's not just counting it all joy, brethren, but it's also the idea that we do that because we know the result. We are convinced. We have no doubt. We are not doubting what God is trying to do with our lives and others' lives. We, in fact, are are reassuring ourselves because we have this knowledge of an understanding mind and thinking about those things which, uh, which God is doing for us. Think about these things real quickly. We've got Uh, A couple minutes in class. I'm probably not going to get done with this whole lesson, so we'll at least get through the first two points. We'll do two points next week. Um, Think about this. Uh, The the Christians have got to know things uh, to that, and knowing these things are going to make it easier for us to face trials in life. First of all, think about this. Faith is always tested. It is assured. You can go to the bank on it today. Your faith will be tested. Now, your faith may be tested more than others, I guess, in some respects. You may feel it is at least. Uh, obviously, my faith, I don't think, has been tested to the same extent that, that old Abraham's was. Remember Abraham? How was his faith tested? God said, take your son upon a mountain and kill him. And you talk about some testing of some faith there. That's what God was doing to Abraham. Why? He wanted to increase his faith. He wanted to mature his faith. He wanted his faith to grow to the point where he was fully reliant upon God. So if we have the knowledge that our faith is going to be tested, obviously we are going to per- perceive and view trials in many different ways, right? It's going to be different for us because we're going into it knowing full and well that when we're a Christian and when we choose to live that godly life, we will be tested by God. And so what we see here, our faith will be tested. Abraham's faith, he went to the mountain. He was actually coming down with his knife or his sword to kill uh, his own son. And as he raised and he lowered that knife, of course, God stopped him there with a lamb of sacrifice. Now, I can't say my life has been tested like that. Nobody's asked me to go take Marley and kill her. Okay, I haven't been challenged to do that. Uh, that's, pretty, that's pretty deep, Right? That's pretty ultimate. We know, of course, there's a type and shadow. You can argue about the idea, concept of Christ coming, and, and there's a good symbolic nature there. But, but in and of itself, Abraham's faith was tested. Now, there's other examples we can show about faith being tested throughout the Bible's pages. Now, you look at that great hall of faith, and almost every one of those faiths have been tested. They're tested by direct commandment and the obedience, or whether you're going to obey or not to that commandment. They're going to be tested by the trials that are allowed to come into your life and tempt you or pull you away. Think of old Joseph. Uh, Joseph was tested, wasn't he? And how faithful he would be to God. He was thrown into a pit, sold into slavery. He was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. And time and time again, as he was tested in his faith, he had decisions and choices to make. Joseph's faith would be tested. Your faith will be tested. And you've got to have the knowledge and the understanding to know your faith will be tested. Now, how it will be tested, it's only going to be determined as, as time goes on, as you live your life. But God always tests us, though, to bring out the best. Allowing us to grow, allow us to strengthen, to have more self-assurance, to, to, to have more confidence, to have more patience, ultimately. If you talk about the end result, as we see in James, is the idea of being patient as a mature Christian. It's, it's a long road to hoe to get there. But if we know faith is always tested, it's easier for us to face the trials in life. Also, secondly, testing works for us, not against us. Let me repeat that. Testing works for us and not against us. 
That's difficult sometimes for us to understand that, I think, in the physical state. You know, it's hard for us to say that going through cancer or going through death or going through some other type of a disease that is incurable or, or some, some, something's going on in your life and the doctors don't even know what it is. And it's hard for me to look you in the eyes, I know sometimes, and say, hey, it's really helping you. But that's what the Scripture's saying. That's what, what God is telling us time and time again is that the trials that we go through in our lives actually are there to help us and not hurt us, at least when it comes to spiritual lives. The word trying uh, can be translated approval that you see in the, uh, the passage of Scripture here in some versions. And Peter really helps us to understand this a little bit better. Look over with me real quick. First Peter chapter 1, uh, we've alluded to this passage before. Uh, but for, Peter really look, gets into a little bit of the suffering as well as he talks to the brethren in his letter. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 7, uh, the concept that Peter says and the words that he uses, I think, helps clarify a little bit here. If you look at verse, let's start in verse 6. Uh, in this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of, of Jesus Christ. The ultimate goal is where will we be when Christ Jesus is revealed? Now contextually, you need to look at what, what, are, we, what are we talking about here? Are we talking about when Christ first came on earth? No, it's, that's past. That's already happened. The revelation of Christ Jesus that Peter's talking about is going to be the second coming. And so you look at here, where will we be found when Christ Jesus comes again? Does it matter if we're in the grave? No. Does it matter if we've dealt with sickness and suffering? No, it really doesn't in the bigger scheme of things. What matters is where our spiritual condition is. And so what Peter emphasizes here is saying that the testing that we have, being distressed by the various trials in life, uh, gives us a proof of our faith. The idea of proof is, is great. The proving of gold and of other metals, of course, occurs when it's heated to the point in the pressure where it purifies it, where that's the only mineral that's left there in that, uh, that thing. So when you deal with the proof of some type of a metal, you're dealing with its purity. Same kind of idea and concept here is that we are distressed by various trials. Uh, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in what? Praise and glory and honor. Of ourselves? No. Praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what we want to be seen. That's what we want to be the goal of going through these things. So the testing and the trials in our lives uh, works for us. It doesn't work against us. God's approval of our faith is precious because it assures us that our faith is genuine. It's pure. We can know that trials work for the believer as we read other passages as well. And I'm not going to get Romans 8, 28, where we know that everything works together for good to them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose and promise. The, the idea there, I love that. It's a reassuring verse to us. I think we throw it around flippantly a little bit sometimes. But the idea there is that we know in the end, all things work together for good. Not our good, 
We've got to be clarifying that now. I think we throw it around thinking, oh, everything's going to work around. It's going to be great and, and, and ho-hum and cheery. And, hey, you know, everything's going to work out perfect in our eyes. That's not our perspective dealing with here. Romans eight twenty eight deals with whose perspective? God's perspective. All things work together for good, that's God, for them that are loving the Lord and called according to his promise. We've got some contingencies. We've got some dependability language there. The idea is we've got to be purposed. And when we are purposed, we know that in the end, everything's going to work out good for God's purpose. Maybe not what our ideal is. But again, as you think about knowing and having this understanding mind, the trials will be helping us instead of working against us. Trials also, number three, trials rightly used help us to mature. Of course, that underscores the idea and the focus, the theme of our study this quarter, that if you properly view, if you properly use these trials in your lives, it's going to allow you to mature as a Christian. What does God want us to produce in our lives? Well, he wants to produce patience. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 4, deal with the idea of, of patience in life. We know part of the fruits of the Spirit. We've been working with Tinley on this, trying to get the fruits of the Spirit. Uh, patience is one of those. She's some, well, she used to skip over. Now she's skipping over uh, peace. She's skipping over peace. Uh, but she used to skip over patience. And one day I asked her, I said, why aren't you saying patience? She said, I don't like that one. Um, <laughs> So, you know, but, but unfortunately, we don't have a choice of what we like and what we don't like. And God wants us to exhibit patience in life. That's part of the fruit of the Spirit. If we truly are living by the Spirit, we are going to exhibit, we are going to show our fruit of our life is going to be patience in life. That's what God wants from us. Well, how do you get it? Well, it's not always easy. I tell Monica not to pray for patience because I don't want God to answer that prayer. Because a lot of times patience is a tough one to get, right, Viral? I mean, that's, that's one of those tough ones. You pray for patience, you better watch out because God may be answering your, your prayer in ways that you may not want to experience. Now, I'm not saying you don't pray for it. Don't get me wrong. I think we need to be striving for patience. But it's not something that's easy to get. Brother Viral. Yes. I don't know if you heard. <laughs> yes. Patience, what he says, patience necessitates endurance. Bottom line. So if you pray for patience, what you're saying is, God, keep it, keep it coming. Keep it coming. Uh, you know, and that's one of those things that's tough to swallow. It's tough to stomach. And to be quite honest with you, to obtain patience isn't something you get just by reading a book. God can't give you patience by reading a book. God can't give you patience through the listening of, of some sermon. God can't give you patience in many, uh, any way, really, except allowing you to experience life and ultimately to endure it. Because in the end, your endurance, which is obviously sometimes transliterated, it's, it's translated patience in the scripture, their endurance versus patience. It's your endurance when you realize that it is not you that you're waiting on, but instead God. And so sometimes you must endure things because you are patiently wanting what God wants instead of those things which you yourself want. Trials rightly used help us to mature. It's not, it's not always easy. In the Bible, patience is not a passive acceptance of circumstance, but courageous perseverance in the face of, of difficulty or suffering. And patience is in, in essence, you know, a lot of times we think, oh, he's a very patient man because he just kind of sits there quietly. Doesn't do much. 
You know, he's just kind of patient, just kind of lets things happen. Well, that's not biblical patience. Biblical patience is enduring. It is persevering in the face of suffering and difficulty there. Immature people, though, are always impatient. God wants us to be patient because it is the key to every other blessing that we have. And ultimately, it's going to be the key to spiritual maturity. We're going to pick up here next week. Instead of reading the next lesson's text, I would encourage you, go back. Let's reread James chapter 1, verses 2 through 12. Challenge and encourage yourself to, to be a stronger and a more mature Christian this week dealing with trials. You can look ahead at the application and the, the reflection points if you want to there in the lesson. But we'll pick up here next week. I want to hit the other two points next week. And uh, we may go on to the third lesson, but we may not get there. So.